Welcome to the Healing Courageously podcast, where we engage in open, honest, and healthy conversation about everything from addiction, abuse, and recovery to marriage, family, and spirituality. We hope you find this podcast helpful. Our goal is that you will find a new way of living as you look closer at yourself in these areas of your life, which will lead to a happier and healthier you. Now here's your host, Randy Boyd. Greetings and welcome to Healing Courageously. On this week's episode, we are going to continue talking about spirituality. In particular, this week we're going to be talking about spiritual abuse. And I'm often asked, what is spiritual abuse? What exactly is spiritual abuse, Randy? And that's a great question. And I hope to kind of clarify that in today's episode. Many people resonate with the idea of spiritual abuse, but have not had the chance to explore the parameters of this unique type of abuse. Spiritual abuse probably happens to a lot more people that that, uh, that realize it's happening to them. It can happen within the church. It can happen within the home. It can happen in a whole lot of different places. It's important to understand it and to know its possible repercussions. So you can address the specific issues you might be dealing with. Something that I dealt with for a long time. And of all the abuses that happened to me between the emotional, physical, spiritual, and sexual abuse, I would say that the spiritual abuse is probably the most uh, damaging abuse that I received. The most, it's got left the deepest scars. I mean, the physical abuse, the emotional abuse, the uh, sexual abuse, I've done a lot of work on actually on all of them, 14 years worth. And I've gotten over, not, not gotten over, but I've, I've been able to work through all those other issues. And for the most part, I'm pretty much at a good point in my life. They don't, I don't react a lot to them anymore. I don't get triggered a whole lot to them anymore. When I do get triggered, I know where it's coming from. But the, the spiritual abuse is really subtle. It's really deep. And I didn't, I didn't realize it because I've, I've even done a lot of work on, on spiritual abuse. And as a pastor... You know, you wouldn't think that, you know, I would have to deal with this stuff, but it's it's a deep scar. And I've, I've talked to a couple of my pastors about it, and I'm working through it. It's no big deal, but it really has given me this critical eye of the church, um, of actually any religion, and any professed, uh, I don't know what you want to say, gurus or even even some of the pastors and, and I'm just being real blunt and honest about it um, and I've got this discerning spirit to top that off so it can be really rough for me sometimes it's, it doesn't play to my advantage and I know it doesn't so I'm, I continue to work on it you know it's actually really really difficult to define spiritual abuse because there are so many different religions and belief systems out there and sadly, just as many ways that those teachings can be twisted so they become abusive. I mean, if you just think about the Waco situation. That was an extreme amount of, a, of, of um, spiritual abuse. Extreme amount of spiritual abuse. And then uh, Jim, Jim Jones in Africa where 
he had them all drink that poison Kool-Aid. That was the ultimate of, 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 of um, spiritual abuse. But there's a lot of other ways it's not quite that radical that it happens. See, in my research, I found that every expert, every expert has her her own definition of what exactly spiritual abuse is. So there's a lot of different definitions out there. But however, there's one constant I've found in various definitions is that it involves the abuse, the power and misrepresentation of information by spiritual leaders or leaders, especially to individuals who are vulnerable and most in need of support. See, when you're in need of support, that's when they can really cone in on you. It's almost, it's almost like, I'm going to use this word very lightly in this conversation, but it's like they're a perpetrator to a certain extent. Because when you're hurting, they know that they gotta look, they're, they're looking after or they're looking up to a spiritual father in, in many different senses. And, you know, I know one gentleman that was in our sexual abuse group that it was a, it was a, it was a Catholic church. And the, the father that came to visit him was there to support him because his father was struggling and with a family. There was just a lot going on. And so they trusted this one particular priest. They called him Father Hollywood. And he was out of modern-day high school in, in Orange County. And he trusted them. And so they used that, they used that God facade, that pastor, that, that priesthood, or the pastoral, whatever it is, to hone in on hurting people sometimes. Now, I want, listen, I want you to really understand this, that I'm talking this because it's true, but it's not. It's a general conversation. Not all pastors, not all priests, not all reverends, not all churches are like this, okay? But a lot of people think that a church is a safe place, and it's been proven over and over that, yeah, for the most part, churches are safe. But there's also those churches that aren't safe. And unfortunately, the Catholic Church is one of the biggest ones that is not the safest place in the world. And I don't mind saying that. Um, abuse is abuse. And the sexual abuse that happens to, to, to kids, whether it's a boy or a girl, is absolutely devastating. And in many ways, I don't want to say, I'm just going to say it, but it, it is more devastating to, to men because men are taught not to say nothing. And what do you mean? you got sexual abuse. You can protect yourself. You, you have no idea how many men I have heard say, I should have been able to protect myself. And then you take them somewhere where there's maybe uh, some five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten-year-old kids at the age that they were molested. You sit down with them. You say, "Just sit here and watch for a while. Watch these kids. Watch what they're doing. Watch what they're playing. Look at the size of them." And you don't say nothing. You just let them look and observe. And then as you walk away with them, you just say, "Now, you want to tell me again how you were supposed to protect yourself from a guy my size?" And usually that's when they start weeping and go, I couldn't do it. No, it's not your fault. There's nothing you could have done. And unfortunately, like I say, clergy, and I mean, not just in the Catholic Church, not just in the non-denominational churches, not just the Baptist Church, the Methodist Church, not just in those churches. It's happening within the the Hindu religion, the... the, the, uh, the Taoism religion, Buddhism, 
It's happening all over the world. One of four boys and one in three girls will be sexually abused before the age of 18. And a lot of it comes from these spiritual leaders. And one of the spiritual leaders that is in our life is naturally our parents. Or, you know, that they, they, we should be looking up to them for spiritual guidance. But unfortunately, with the way the world is today, a lot of parents are missing that whole concept as well. They're so caught up in the, in the, this, we need to make money to, you know, keep up with the Joneses, that their, their children are going by the wayside. The, the, the spirituality is going by the wayside. The connection with God is going by the wayside. And, it, you know, it, we can sit here and talk about the parents' part in this, but more than that, it's society's part. Because society just pushes that. I was caught up in it for a long time myself. I still have my family was very important to me, but I was caught up in it too, caught up in it for a very long time myself. I have um, one of the many definitions of spiritual abuse that I found in my research that I, that I really like. And I'm going to choose, you know, I, I've got it here because it directly addresses the key component of abuse, the misuse of power. So it doesn't matter if it's sexual, physical, emotional, spiritual abuse, the number one key and, and, and component of abuse is, is power. You know, you hear this in se about sexual abuse. It has nothing to do with sex, and that's hard for a lot of people to buy, but sexual abuse has nothing to do with abuse. It's all about power. It's all about controlling that other person. Hurt people hurt people. So everything's about control and about power. Okay, it's not about sex. It's not about emotional um, stimulation. It's not about that. It's about power. Kim Blue, a motivational speaker in religious and business circles, compares spiritual abuse to physical and sexual abuse, as I just mentioned. And this is what he says. Abuse of any type occurs when someone has power over another and uses that power to hurt Physical abuse means that someone exercises physical power over another, causing physical wounds. Sexual abuse means that, so, uh, that someone exercises sexual power over another, resulting in sexual wounds. And spiritual abuse happens when a leader with spiritual authority, which could be a pastor, a priest, um, a parent, a grandfather, there's, that's a pretty broad spectrum of people. With spiritual authority, uses that authority to coerce, control, or exploit a follower, thus causing spiritual wounds. And, you know, it happens all over. It happens all over. It happens in the church, it happens in the schools, okay? So, it, you know, the church that I went to growing up, I was got pretty active as a youth, but then towards the end... You know, when I got was getting ready to move out, I was 18, 17, 18 years old. My stepfather had called a meeting between myself, him, and the pastor to talk about what was going on between us. And I don't think that the full um, story was being told to, to, to our, my pastor at that time about what was happening. And his simple words were this, that, Randy, you're not going to be gay. And it's just part of growing up. I just remember shrinking in the back of my truck. I'm in the back of his car 
1972 Blue Maverick. That was his counseling room. And the abuse actually got worse after that because in a lot of ways he condoned it. But what happened after that night also is I believe that he knew, the youth pastor knew, and a lot of the church knew. So it put me in a real precarious position. And people were kind of like not willing to help me anymore. And he used it to, you know, and I guess I could say the pastor, I don't want to say no fault of his because it definitely was a fault of his. If he didn't know, he should have investigated it and found out the truth. But so many people are afraid of, of that word sexual abuse because it, it will can and does destroy families. But the, the, the deal of it is, it's like, it also destroys a human being. And so let's, let's not be silent about it. Even if it's spiritual abuse, somebody's got to speak up. And generally when you speak up, I know when I spoke up as a kid, when it comes to the spiritual stuff and everything, I always got shut down and shunned. So as an adult, it's going to happen too. And there's a lot of things that can go wrong in this world. When you see something that's going on wrong, morally wrong, ethically wrong, and and you say something, there's a chance that retaliation will come back on you and it won't be good. So I understand the fear of speaking up, but we have to start speaking up because it's not, yeah, we don't want to see another life damaged because of any kind of abuse. Okay, and that's just part of the spiritual abuse. When when you see a child or you know a child's being sexually abused or physically abused or emotionally abused, spiritually, it's our it's our job to make sure that person's taken care of and to, and to speak up. And like I tell people, and, and, and they've done it and it's been hard, you make the phone call, you do it anonymously, but you've got to speak up and tell somebody what's going on. And let the experts figure it out. Because let's save that child's life, no matter what kind of abuse, right? Well, what about the family? Well, what about the family? If they want help, we can help them too. There's, a, you know, God can restore a lot of stuff. He, he, he really can. If you want help and you're willing to do the work, and you can become rigorously honest with yourself about your life and what's going on, instead of hiding the secrets, which a lot of parents will do, is they'll just put it back in the corner, they'll brush it underneath the corner, Shh, don't tell nobody, we don't want to get Uncle Bobby in trouble. In the meantime, the kids are going, what, what about me? What about how I feel? What about what I'm going through? Oh, you'll get over it. <laughs> yeah, you'll get over it. Maybe. Maybe maybe they'll get over it without going through a, a long period of drug and alcohol use. Maybe they'll get over it without putting a gun to their head. So we have to start speaking up. It's our spiritual obligation. The Bible says, if you cause a little one of mine to, if you cause harm to a little one of mine, you cause them to fall. You'd be better off with a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the sea. Well, Jesus is saying that in the commentary that I read. You'd be better off dead. So we have to speak up. I don't care what kind of abuse it is. It's a spiritual and moral obligation. And I understand how difficult and hard that is. And the question that I would have is like when I when I talk to people about suicide prevention, would you rather call the authorities and have that that person and even the family 
really mad at you and maybe even say, I don't, don't come around here anymore. All right. Or, would, you know, by calling the police or calling the authorities or whoever you got to call, or would you rather ha- not call the authorities and have, if on a suicide situation, have that person commit suicide when you knew you should have called the police or the abuse gets so bad that the kid gets taken from the home or he gets hurt or whatever, which one are you going to be able to live with? Morally, consciously, ethically. I know myself, hey, I did the right thing, right? If you want to cut me out of your life, that's fine. All I want to do is protect that child and get get help for the family. You tell me you're going to put a gun to your head and kill yourself, I'm going to call the police. Because if I don't, and even if you're just joking, there's questions I got to ask. It's not that simple, but I'm not going to be able to live with myself if you commit suicide and I knew you were going to do it and I didn't do nothing about it. Only thing that I'm obligated to do at that point in time is to pick up the phone and call somebody and say, this is happening. And then I'm done. I don't, it could be anonymous. It does, anonymous it, it doesn't matter. So it's a spiritual obligation. We have to understand that. I think the Bible, and, I, and I, again, I'm... I'm going to paraphrase this i'm not sure what scripture is but it says something that if we know that someone is committing a sin and we stand by and watch it happen we're just as guilty of the sin as they are and i'm paraphrasing that scripture okay you know in some cases spiritual abuse is inflicted intentionally intentionally and then in others it is inflicted unintentionally Unfortunately, for the survivors, the end result is usually the same. It, it doesn't matter whether it was intentional or unintentional. And it happens all the time when it's unintentional. Broken individuals who no longer trust other people. And that's what happens. I, I deal with so many people that don't trust. They just don't trust because they've been hurt. They've been hurt by the people that they're supposed to trust and look up to. And so that you wonder why people are so standoffish and they don't want to trust anymore. In most cases, having been abused spiritually, they are not inclined, this is key, they are not inclined to turn to God for comfort. What do you mean, God? Don't talk to me about God. I was like that for 38 years. My pastor, my youth pastor, my mother, who's a, a member of the choir, my my stepfather, who was a, a deacon of the church, they abused me. They didn't protect me. This is what God is about? That I want nothing to do with it. And at 18, I walked away from God and the church, and for 30-some years, 38 years, 30 years, I was out there running and gunning on my own. You know, I married. I was I was responsible, but I was also irresponsible. And successful. But that spiritual damage pushed me away from God and the church. And if you haven't been in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous, go sit in the rooms of Alcoholics Anonymous for about a week. And listen to the people that are, they're, they, they're, a lot of them are recovered Catholics. I didn't realize how many people were hurt because of the church, because of God being misrepresented. Okay? And, be, and it, the reality is it's not church, it's not God, it's people. Right? And then if you add abuse to that, oh, forget it. 
I mean, those are my favorite people to work with because I was in the same shoes. But if you if you had if you had sexual abuse, physical abuse to the mix and God, oh, it, it, it's a battle. It's a battle. But, you know, I've won a lot of people back just by showing them the love of Christ, not talking about the love of Christ. OK. You know, and not having that God to turn to. Right. And. I think my first podcast, I talked about uh, God of our understanding and the God of our understanding in AA, it's supposed to be God, Yahweh, God, the creator. Okay. It's not supposed to be a tree or the mountains. That's not what it is. But um, if, if they don't have that God, right, it, it can be extremely devastating to their personal healing and their progress toward real happiness. You know, it, it's like, so, so you got the you got the you got the spiritual abuse of let's say the church or religion. Just just put it all in one in one thing. Let's just say religion, okay? You got that type of, of abuse. And then here here's where it gets interesting is that there's another type of abuse. And in the minute in the minute that we're abused, the minute we're that we're, we're abused, right? The spirit of the child, that inner child, is devastated is broken is taken away that little child that's within you it's gone it has it, it's we we go into this we go into the survival mode that god gave us as a way to protect ourselves this innate it's just this innate ability that we have that we just go into this mode and, and we protect that little inner child in whatever way we can we don't. So from now, from this, from that point forward, we don't get to be a child. We're, we're a child with adult protection, without adult protection. It's, it's kind of, in other words, we take the role of an older person to protect that inner child. We develop these bad habits. We develop these these these, these defensive mechanisms that we carry all the way in into our adulthood if we don't get help. So the spirit of the child is taken from us the minute we're sexually abused, physically abused, emotionally abused. And that's not a good thing. Because so many people are not allowed to be a child. And, you know, I don't like to talk politics on this, but I'm going to say this one thing. What we're looking at in our political world is a bunch of 12-year-old kids that never grew up. And they're just throwing jabs at each other. Oh, you're going to do this? I'm going to do that. I'm going to do this? You're going to do that. It's, it's a political game of child. It's a political, it's a childish political game is what it is. They're all, they're all hurt people. They're trying to prove to the world, look at how important I am. And that's the stance that I take. And I've taken it for a long time. And all you got to do is watch them. And then watch a 12-year-old kid and the way they react. And maybe you yourself, I know I was acting that way for a long time because I didn't know how to be an adult. I was an adult. I was a child in an adult's body, living in an adult world. And so I was navigating two worlds. And the only way I knew how to protect myself was to get upset. So that turning away from God is, is, is critical because I know that if it wasn't, if I wouldn't have turned my will and my life over to the care of God, the only one God I have, I, I wouldn't be talking to you because 
what I had to work through as a child was so, or as an adult, I had to work through all that shame and all that pain of all the abuse I went through. It was extremely hard and difficult at times. And if I didn't have God and I didn't have, you know, strong spiritual mentors in my life, I'd have gone right back to the drugs and alcohol. But I know it's only because of the wisdom, the courage, and strength that God gave me that I, I made it through to this point in life. 14 years. And I don't want to drink. I'm not saying that I never will, but I'm just saying I, I don't even want to drink. It doesn't even appease me. i got too much to lose. But it's also because I've done a lot of healing. And I, and I talk excited in this thing because I'm really passionate about helping people to heal. You know, the truth is, when I started my journey to recovery, I wanted nothing at all to do with God. I mean nothing to do with God. I believe that the best, that he didn't care what happened to me. And at worst, he actually protected my abusers. And that's how I felt. And, and I know a lot of people feel that. A lot of people, a lot of survivors feel that way. And that's the hard thing to, to, to get people through. It can be done. But I can't force it down. I've got to walk with them. I've got to be the example of, of how I worked through that. Because I was in their shoes one time. I understand it. Who wouldn't be upset? Who, who, who wouldn't question all this? And it's okay to question it. And it was when I was allowed to question it and not told I was going to burn in hell because I was questioning it, that's when my healing began. That's when all my healing began. Pastors and leaders in my church not only knew that what Jack was doing, here's the other thing. They covered it up. They covered it up for Jack because he was a deacon of the church. And they would use quotes from the Bible to make me the evildoer. I was the one with the problem. I was the evil one. They'd send, they would send uh, deacons over to the house at 10 o'clock at night to pray over me, pray the demons out of me when the demons were standing right behind the other deacons. I'd be sound asleep and they'd come over and start praying for me. I mean, the, the accusations, the false accusations that happen in any kind of spiritual abuse, emotional abuse is devastating. Here's how I saw it at the time. God had taken my father away from me when he died of cancer. I was 12. He was 32 years old. And then he brought Jack into my life, my stepfather into my life, despite all my anguish, pleadings with him. The elders of the church would come over to the house late at night. I just mentioned that. And they would drag me out of bed and pray over me, hoping to cast whatever demons were supposedly possessing me. I mean, How's a, how's a kid, how's a teenager, how's a young kid, teenager supposed to deal with all this stuff? I mean, I wasn't possessed. I was a kid enjoying life. I became rebellious because of what was happening. Absolutely. I, I, won't, I won't deny that. But I wasn't possessed. And I didn't need to have the demons prayed out of me. What I needed was I needed a mother and a father that really loved and cared for me. That's what I needed. That showed me love, showed me respect, showed me all that stuff, showed me the right way of living. Not that would abuse me emotionally, physically, spiritually, and sexually. My mom did everything but the sexual abuse. But everything else she was a part of. 
Now, before I go any further on this, and I've said it, I think, in my last episode, that I, I have, I did forgive both of them. I, I mean, 100% forgave them, okay? And so it's like, when I talk about them today, just know that I've forgiven them because the way I used to talk about them was not good. And now what I know is they were both broken people, right? And that um, forgiveness is forgiveness, and I had to let it go. And I did. And I really did, okay? It doesn't mean that I don't think about it now, man, because I'm, it's, it's just part of who I am. I mean, it's ingrained. It happened to me for so many years. And so you do think about it now and then. But the difference is that I can think about it and work through it, like, almost immediately. I don't get caught early and in, then in wallow in the garbage, okay? So I just wanted to clarify that. You know, it, so what it looked like to all them, and, and here's kind of what I just touched on, not once during these nights, not once did any of them ever ask if something were going on in the house that they should know about. Not once did anybody ask about what's going on with Randy. And, and that's, you know, nobody talked to me. Nobody wanted to hear about my side of it. I even told a, a sheriff one time, officer, you don't know what it's like living in this house. And he says, Randy, I don't care what it's like living in your house. If you, you're 17. If they say you stay in the house until you're 18, you stay in the house. I said, okay, I'm not going down this street. And the next night, my stepfather nearly, literally, no exaggeration, nearly beat me to death. Because my mom had to call the sheriff on me when he was out of town working. But nobody asked me. Nobody wanted to hear my side. It was just I was the bad guy. You know, and even I felt also that even if, if the elders had asked me these questions, I probably would, would not have said anything because it had been proven over and over on different scenarios that nobody was listening to me anyways. Nobody cared what I had to say. I was just a teenage kid that was demon-possessed. Nothing could be farther from the truth. You know, why, and the thing of it is, why should I have trusted them? That's the question. They're going to ask me a question like that. They've given me no, no reason to trust them. I'm not going to say nothing. Right? Because, you know, remember, this was back in the 70s when everything was submissive and everything was a secret and everything was cool. Abuse wasn't talked about. It was just, you know, like it is today, pushed underneath the table. They already thought that I needed to be exercised. That was, the, they, they came in there and they just knew that I needed to be exercised. It's not the best way to build a bond of trust between a child and an adult. I, I don't, I have people come to me all the time. And honestly, I'll, I'll tell you this, that I don't, I just listen to them. What's going on? There's no accusations. There's no judgment. There's none of that. That's not my job. My job is to help people get better. And so I want to hear what's going on in their life. And then I'll guide them out of the situations they might be in as they arise along the journey. But there's never... You know, there, some, some questions can be asked, asked in an accusational way, and I don't do that. People know what they've done wrong. 
They don't need to be told where they screwed up. They know it. And I always look at stuff. I'm not perfect. I'm not sitting here saying that I'm perfect because I'm not. Right? But I look at things like this. And I, and I can remember when I, when I first started thinking this way in AA is when I would be talking to somebody, I would ask myself, if God was standing right here with you, Randy, how would you talk to this person? And I'm like, wow. I mean that that's a great accountability question. And so I still I still act that way. I still act that way. You know, what would if God was standing right here, how would I be talking? How would God talk to this person? How would Jesus talk to this person? Right? I did, all I have is examples in the Bible. So I try to replicate that the best that I can. Because too many people will talk about Jesus, but then when they walk out the door, they 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 act nothing like it. There are too many people are are acting like Christians and not being Christians. And my the best success that I found is that I want to be an example to them, and my wife wants to be an example to the women she works with. And to the couples we work with, we want to be the example. Good, bad, or indifferent. They all know we have our flaws. I'm not perfect. We bring scripture out. We pray for them. But I don't, I don't shove stuff down our throat. 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this. To talk the cross to those that are perishing is foolishness. And that says it all right there in, in, my, in my eyes. Right, that says it all right there in my eyes. Person walks in and he's struggling. And I, you know, working with enough survivors and, and, and victims and people of the world, the last thing they even need to hear is a bunch of scripture at them and, hey, I'm going to pray for you right now. It's uncomfortable. I'm not saying, I'm not saying it's wrong. People do that. And, and that's fine. That's what, if that's what they, they need to do. But when people walk up to us or they walk into our recovery meetings or whatever they do, or when I sit down one-on-one with them, or my wife sits down one-on-one, we get to know the person. Let's just talk. Let's just figure out who you are. You know, what do you like? What don't you like? What's going on in your life? How can we help you? We talk with them. We become, you almost, it's hard, but you, you become friends to a certain degree. Doing what we do, you can't, you got to be real careful with that part, but we become friends to a certain degree. What would Jesus do? Right? When it's appropriate, we, we'll, we'll talk about some scripture when it's appropriate. We always pray for him before and after we have meetings. What would Jesus do? Really, really think about that. So look, next week, if we're going to continue on the subject of spirituality, um, and there's some more coming with spiritual abuse. There's a couple more uh, things I'm going to talk about. So next week, we'll continue this conversation. I thank you all for joining me today. Right. Remember, if you would kindly go to um, uh, press the uh, subscribe button on iTunes when this comes out on iTunes. Uh, so subscribe and like button, please. Also, I just want to talk about a few upcoming things or a few things that we do. 
Please be sure to visit the Courageous Healers website, CourageousHealers.org. It's a nonprofit uh, foundation organization, non-CourageousHealers.org. Um, we, we work with sexual abuse uh, victims and their families to heal. It's a like alcoholism. It's a whole thing. So we, we work with the whole family. Look, at, we can't. You know, we are looking for donations. I know times are tough right now. However. If even if it's five dollars, ten dollars, fifteen dollars, twenty, whatever it is, you know, five dollars or five thousand dollars, all the money stays in the foundation. If you go to the the, the webpage courageousheaters.org, press on the donate button. You can do the one-time donation on that, or you can set yourself up for a monthly donation. Okay. If you if you donate sixty dollars or more, I will give you. I will send you a signed copy of my book, Healing the Moon and Child Within. And uh, my 30-day devotional, devotion, uh, it's the 30-day devotional to wholeness. It's great. Both of them are great resources, very good resources on, on both parts, okay? My books are available on Amazon. Healing the Wounded Child is available. Um, Healing the Wounded Child Within is available on Amazon in paperback, Kindle, and audiobook. The 30-day devotional and the 7-day workbook are available in paperback, and I believe the devotional is available in, in um, audiobook as well. Life coaching, my life coaching services, my wife and I, we do a lot of marriage counseling. We are, I'm SIMBA certified, saving your marriage before it starts. It's a great, great way to start your marriage off. It's not a psychological thing. It's a, it's a, it's, man, I can tell you it's like 99.9% accurate. Every couple that's done it has just, it's really, really helped them start their marriage off or fine-tune their marriage if they've been married for a while. So we, we do that as part of marriage counseling. I work with addicts, addictions, abuse, inner healing, and spiritual. You can, you can go to changeyourlifestorynow.com, changeyourlifestorynow.com. Just fill out the contact form, and I usually get back to you within four hours, Okay. There's several different things I can do. I got a you know one-time hourly rate, or I got some package deals as, as well. So if you're interested in that, go ahead and reach out to us. We'll get back to you right away. And then a, I'm just so that's it for this week. That's it. Oh no, we have some workshops coming up. Uh, we've got one June 13th. We have a workshop, Journey to You. It's going to be an intensive workshop having to do with uh, their generational curses. It's a really good workshop. It's really going to open your eyes. You'll be able to realize why you act the way you do, where your behaviors came from, where your partner's behaviors came from. It gets really deep into that. It's, it's a great workshop. It really, it really will help you change your attitude about yourself and about your partner. And then the one after that, that's June 13th, providing that we don't have the coronavirus shut down still. And if you you go to CourageousHeaters.org, press on the workshop tab at the top. You can It'll take you right to the workshop page. Click on the, on the register page, and you can register right there. Everything's on that page. If you register and if we don't end up not having it because of our, our shutdown, one of two things, we'll either just hold on to the money because I will have the workshops, or if you want to refund, we can definitely refund you your money at that point in time, okay? And then we're going to have another one called Secrets in Silence, and then right before Christmas will be Forgiveness. They're all really powerful workshops that will open your eyes to a lot of different things, okay?
And then join me Friday mornings, every Friday morning from 9 to 12 on 100.1 FM, 100.1 FM Remnant Radio. I'm live every Monday or every Friday morning, every Friday morning from 9 to 12. You can join me there. Okay. I think that's it for today. Thanks for joining me. I really appreciate your, your time and your ear. And if you have any suggestions on, on things that you would like me to speak about, I'm doing this for, you, for all of you, for the audience. Just shoot me an email at CourageousHealers.org. I'm sorry, CourageousHealers at gmail.com, CourageousHealers at gmail.com. Remember this, if nobody tells you they love you today, Randy does. But more importantly, God does. Hey, everybody be blessed. Have a great weekend.